Hey, it's Carlos Bocanegra, former U.S. national team men's captain, Ren and San Etienne defender. You're listening to the League One podcast. Here's Neymar now. Cavani is there. Balotelli on the turn. Quality. Kalufa Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tovar. Kylian Mbappe wraps it up. Hello and welcome to Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast. Coming up, PSG are champions at last, but was there a party mood at the Parc des Princes on Sunday evening? We'll talk about the remarkable Mbappe and Neymar's comeback. We'll look at the ever more exciting European race, hear from Bordeaux boss Paolo Sousa and former USA captain Carlos Bocanegra ahead of his ex-club Rennes taking on Paris Saint-Germain in the Coupe de France final next Saturday. Now, as you may have noticed, I am not Matt Spiro. Matt has a a clause in his contract. It's a bit like Neymar going to the carnival back in Brazil every year. He needs to go to rural England for a bit of traditional dancing over the Easter weekend. And if you do spot him out and about, please do send us a photo. Où est Mathieu? Where's Matthew? To leagampodcast at gmail.com. Now, we, we considered many people to take over in the hot seat from that. It's mainly hot because I'm sitting in the sunshine in Robbie Thompson's apartment. Robbie doesn't have his necessary coaching badges, so a bit like Eric Bedouet on the interim. I'm David Crossan, and joining me on the podcast, our host of the podcast, in terms of we're in his house, Robbie Thompson. Hello. Hello, Dave. Yes, some introduction. Well done. And uh, yes, Matt could be in trouble here. <laughs> Andy Scott <laughs> is with us too, Scotland's foremost league and expert. <laughs> Hi, Dave. How are you? Very, very good. And you? Not too bad, thank you. So where else could we start but with Paris Saint-Germain finally wrapping up their eighth Ligue 1 title. They're now just one behind Marseille and two behind Saint-Étienne when it comes to the most Ligue 1 titles. They wasted three chances to do it and finally sealed it in low-key fashion as Lille were held nil-nil at Toulouse. That meant that they were crown champions retaining their title even before they took to the field to take on 2017 champions Monaco on Sunday evening. They wore special shirts paying homage to the Notre Dame Cathedral after that terrible blaze which badly damaged the cathedral in central Paris at the start of the week. And all of the players had Notre Dame where you'd usually see their surnames above their numbers. Mbappe's continued his run. It's Kylian Mbappe. The champions are ahead. And it is their star man, their top scorer, Kylian Mbappe, with the goal. It's opening up for Dani Alves, who plays in Mbappe again. He is spectacularly good. Another world-class finish from a world-class 20-year-old. Dani Alves plays in Kylian Mbappe, and that is the hat-trick. It was all about Kylian Mbappe this evening, his fifth career hat-trick on an evening when the MCN was restored. Now... Robbie Thompson and Andy Scott were both there. Robbie, what was the mood like inside the Parc des Princes? It wasn't much of a party from what I saw. It wasn't, well, probably watching on TV and, and no, to be fair, in the stadium as well, there wasn't an incredible atmosphere in, in the ground because also the, the ultras who sit in the Otoy stand behind, uh, behind the goal to your left, if you're watching on TV, well, the upper, upper stand was closed by the LFP after, after uh, emergency flares were set off by the fans. At a recent match, so there it's was. It's worth that. pointing out to our listeners that the some of the firefighters who put out the Notre Dame blaze were in that section. They, in they'd the been invited to to sit up there, so they'd been allowed to fill that section with uh, the firefighters and their families. There were five hundred invitations given out. My fear 
with the absence of the ultras, because they, they're the ones that really make the noise and, and bring in the rest of the stadium to create, because the Parc des Princes is a fantastic stadium when there's great noise in there and when there's a party atmosphere. That was missing. My other fear was with, with Notre Dame and the tribute and the firefighters and this, uh, this, this feeling and, and Neymar's return and the fact that they'd had three chances and hadn't won the title and the fact that Lille then failed to win. And that was a little bit controversial as well in the afternoon. And Andy, uh, we, we spoke about it at the Parc des Princes just before kickoff, that, that refused goal for, for Lille. The whole thing, for me, threatened to overshadow the fact that Paris won the league and are enjoying their second best ever season. That they, We forget things like they started the league with 14 consecutive wins. We forget all the positives of this. They've recorded their biggest ever home win, 9-0 this season. They recorded their biggest ever win over Lyon, 5-0 at the Parc des Princes. They extended their run over Marseille. Look, loads of reasons to be positive. The shine was taken off with this run of, of failing to, to, to secure the title with these three things, with these three matches. But look... Seeing the players celebrate in the dressing room after the game, I can assure you that that, that restored a bit of faith for me. That this it, this idea that look, you know, Paris are entitled to win to win it, and that you know no one really cares was not the case in the changing room, and that was a real breath of breath of fresh air for me to see how much it meant to the players. Now they have sealed it with five games to go. Uh, a few seasons ago, under Laurent Blanc, they won it with well, eight six, games to go. Well, six because they were they didn't have to play that that. That game Fair last night, I, they're already I'll accept so. that, I'll accept that. <laughs> it's good for clarity. Uh, and they did win the game 3-1, which I mentioned the result. Kylian Mbappe scored a hat-trick, now on to 30 goals for the season. Remarkable stuff from him. The first French player to hit 30 since Jean-Pierre Papin in 1989-90. Mm. And we've talked about Mbappe plenty on the podcast, of course we have. But when you watch him in the flesh, Andy, mm. in a match like that, he's just unstoppable, isn't he? Against his former club to boot. Yeah, he's incredible. I mean, I think... You know, it is just worth quickly pointing out about the about the atmosphere yesterday that it was, um, you know, bizarrely flat. And with everything that's happened, as Robbie touched on, that obviously explains why the fact that they wrapped it up without even playing and and, and so on. But when the game itself started and um, and Mbappe lit it up with, you know, one of the most. I mean, yeah, we say this every time we see Mbappe play, but that last night was one of the most electric performances that I've seen from Kylian, from Kylian Mbappe. It was absolutely remarkable. Um, the, the the pace at the mm. first goal was just lightning. You know, I think blinking you would have missed it. What does Usain Bolt hit in a in a in a hundred meters? He's not far off that. Yeah, he's not. I think over, over the the average, he's probably a little bit less, but he probably peaks a little bit higher. Usain. Oh, Mbappe can sustain it over long distances as well, which is what sets him apart from other quick yeah. players. Yeah, I mean the the the, the, first, the first goal he set off from the halfway line, didn't he? And then um, and took the pass from Musa Diaby. The second goal was um, well. I'm struggling to remember now. Well, the but first, equally, the, the one-two Alves, with Danny Alves was 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 mm, fantastic yeah. as well. I know the third goal was a tap in, but just before but that, again, there was that wonderful run where he went he on to post. hit the post, and uh, it was just fantastic. Um, you know, it, it. I mean, it was the, the sort of juxtaposition with the return of Neymar to the team. It kind of made me think, you know, that Neymar comes back here and he has been very much usurped as 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 the main man, which we kind of which we kind of touched on at the beginning of the season because Mbappe was a World Cup winner and so on. But the, there is a reality in Paris just now, which is not to say that Neymar is not going to come back and, and be very important again. But in, this has been Mbappe's title, really, more than any other Paris mm. player. 36 goals in 40 games in all competitions. He has been just fantastic. And it did make me think, you know, because writing about Paris Saint-Germain's title win 
um, writing a piece ready to go when they were champions. It's been clouded by the ago. way they've played, and that, yeah, and it, exactly, and it's been clouded by the way in which they've been unable to get across the line. And and I touched on the fact that this season has been obviously marred by the Champions League failures to the extent that you forget about how they won the first fourteen games of the season, and then Mbappe last night just reminded us that you know they really are on their game a fantastic team, and he is you know by a long way the best player in France when he's on his game. Our executive producer, Ian Holyman, has the answer to the speed question. Usain Bolt in the 2009 World Athletics Championships in Berlin set a world record and peaked out at 44.64 kilometres an hour. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium to commentate that, but uh, I have to say I get more excited watching Kylian Mbappe play football than I did watching Usain Bolt running. Well, I think that's, (laughs) Dave, just that's one of the things about that, that first goal was that it wasn't just pace. I mean, it was he, he was the one that had the touch from Dani Alves on the halfway line to play in Moussa Diaby first. Then he made that incredible run with the pace. But the control for the ball at that pace, the control back in the box, to then control the ball, have a look, see where Subasic is, fire it into the top corner. I mean, it was, it's, it's not just about the pace. Kylian Mbappe is exceptional. And yeah, that's and three league titles in a row. The three, league title with Monaco in 2016-2017 and two in a row with Paris. Say that. More than twice as many goals in the league this season as he managed in his mm-hmm. debut Paris campaign. He's just getting better and better. Yeah, and yeah, and remember he's only 20. So three league titles in the World Cup in that time and all the other trophies he's won. It, yeah, it is remarkable and you know he'll probably still get to 40 goals in all competitions this season. He's got a little bit to go to, to match the Lionel Messi sort of figures of you know averaging more than a goal a game, but still... <laughs> That's not saying, you know, that, that's not to, to criticise the guy. It's just... Now, we all know he's, he's a very well brought up young man. He speaks in a mm. mature fashion and he chose not to celebrate his first goal, respectful to his former club. Um, the second goal, he did a little roly-poly and the French do call it a roly-poly. <laughs> <laughs> I learned that last night. And uh, for the third, he jumped onto Dani Alves's back. So he rather forgot about the former club bit as the night developed. Yeah, but and fair enough as well. Let's not forget that last season, I think it was, there was a fair bit of niggle between Andrea Raggi and, and Killian in the match at, at the park as well. I mean, look, you move on, new employer. He's always said he wanted to play for Paris Saint-Germain. He's got plenty of respect for Monaco. I saw them when the players all came off as well. He was very friendly with all the, his old staff. He had a word to Leonardo Jardim. It was, it was all very good. Just a, a little point to go back just very quickly on has he replaced Neymar as the star in this side? I think that's great news for Paris Saint-Germain because to think now you've got two players that are this good, Neymar is going to want to be even better next season as well. And that's, that's all positive. I think, I think that's worth pointing out because I, I did make the mistake of um, suggesting on social media that, that he'd kind of taken the limelight from Neymar. Never suggest and, anything on social and, media, Andy. That's and the you first forget, mistake. You, exactly, and you forget that social media To misquote media you, Andy, is, didn't you suggest they should sell Neymar and buy a real team? Well, unfortunately, this is the way that some people would appear to have, <laughs> would appear to have taken it, but obviously that's not what I suggested. Mbappe has clearly taken the limelight from Neymar this season. Neymar has an awful lot of people who... Um, are first and foremost supporters of Neymar than they are of perhaps the club mm. he's playing for, anything like that, and clearly that upsets some people. But the reality is that for the second season running, Neymar has been injured at a very important exactly. time. Exactly, he's only played in, half the game. Yeah, and I think probably if we look back at the number of games Paris Saint-Germain have played since the end of February last year, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but obviously Neymar has missed a lot of games, Mbappe has hardly missed a single game when he's been forced to sit out games in the last few weeks it's raised a lot of controversy. You know, why are we leaving this guy on the bench? Thomas Tuchel has had to defend his decision to do so. 
But Mbappe is 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 just fantastic. That does not mean that Neymar is not fantastic as well, and it augurs very well if they can get the two of them fit mm. playing together for a whole season and strengthen the other areas of the squad that desperately need to be strengthened in order to make them a force for a longer period in the Champions League as well. So Mbappe was rested against Nantes in midweek and then came back and hit his third hat-trick of the season in the league. Um, last season, Neymar was voted Ligue 1 Player of the Year despite only playing half of the season. Is Mbappe going to be his successor this year? Yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt. You can't, unless, yeah, no, there's no, there's no question. 30 goals, top scorer. He's won matches by himself as well in Ligue 1. That's the most impressive thing, that the goal against Nîmes when Paris was struggling, the goal against Saint-Étienne when it was nil-nil with 15 minutes to play. He's, he's scored important goals. He's lifted the team at times. He's won it by himself. And when he hasn't been there, like against Nantes, you know, the, the, the team have struggled. A, a point on that as well, the news cycle, I'd, I'd almost do my coup de gueule on, on that. This reaction to Killian's not in the side. Last time he said at the end of the game that, he, that the team lacked personality. He's been, he's been benched. He's been frozen out by the coach. It's all forgotten four days later when he scores a hat trick. And this is, you know, it's a news cycle gone crazy at the moment yeah. with everything that happens at PSG. Everyone's just flowing from one extreme to the other. It's crazy. I think, I think just on that as well, last night, um, we probably shouldn't forget that Monaco actually started the game very well. I know it doesn't seem, it does seem like a long time ago because it was just the first 10 or 15 minutes and they lost Daniel Subasic to injury, mm. which didn't help them either. Diego Benaglio had to come on and goal. They did look very good in the first 10 minutes with Ronnie Lopez and Jelson Martins on the wings. And then that Mbappe goal just killed them, just killed them stone dead. And, and they didn't have a response after that. So what is another example of Mbappe just taking it upon himself and destroying the opposition. Yeah, Neymar just 14 league and games this season. He did come on at half-time uh, yesterday, mm -hmm. making his comeback just in time for the Coupe de France final. Uh, how did you rate his display? I thought he looked uh, pretty good, to be honest. I mean, we couldn't have expected too much from him. I did always wonder if they were perhaps risking rushing him back a little bit too soon because he was desperate to play in the one big game that Paris Saint-Germain have uh, left this season, the Cup final. Uh, next weekend but he got 45 minutes he looked pretty lively he had an assist didn't he for Moussa Diaby for a goal that was disallowed for an offside that was tight. extremely tight <laughs> and uh, he looked happy to be on the field again you know and if, I, I think it was yeah, just a, a massive plus point for Paris Saint-Germain it'll be interesting to see how much football he plays in the remaining weeks of the season obviously the cup final next weekend after that I'm not too sure and whether sure. he plays in the Copa America for Brazil this summer which we imagine he will do yeah exactly I think he's mm. obviously got that in the back of his mind as well Yes, but I think I think he's he's shown by not having the operation this time on the foot again that that he was more keen to come back and finish the season with Paris. I think which wasn't the case last year with the World Cup coming up. He was he really felt a lot of pressure to perform for his national team in the World Cup after after Brazil as well. But look, I think his performance was good. I think it was it was light. He didn't he didn't make the difference. He didn't shoot at goal. I think he had one shot on the left foot, but. You know, he didn't, he didn't really test the foot. He didn't take people on necessarily. He didn't really look for contact, which he often does as well, to, to draw defenders towards him. But it, it was essential that he and Cavani and Di Maria and even Julian Draxler, Marquinhos, who have all been missing in recent weeks, were there one week before the cup final. And I think overall, the problem now with Verratti, who looks like he's turned his ankle again and could be out for the final, of the cup and Tilo Kerrer was also receiving treatment after the game with what looked like a hamstring to me. So look, those two 
could be gone now. But the big positive was seeing Neymar back on the pitch, Cavani back on the pitch and Di Maria there as well. Yeah, it's a very different outlook to the game against Nantes in midweek when they couldn't fill the bench, basically. In the they still didn't fill the bench last night. They still, no, well, they, they couldn't fill it last night, yeah, but, it, but, but it, it was a strong it, bench. At least they had these players <laughs> Buffon, back. Yeah. Buffon, Di Maria, Draxler, Cavani, Neymar yeah. on the bench last night. Not bad. Just to finish with Paris Saint-Germain, a word on the coach. It was Thomas Tuchel's first domestic league title as a coach. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain have had four coaches in their six league titles that they have won. Carlo Ancelotti, Laurent Blanc, Unai Emery, and now Thomas Tuchel. Olympique Lyonnais had a similar thing when they won their seven league titles in a row. Um, Tuchel has been a a nervous man in, in recent weeks. His Public statements perhaps won't always have gone down that well with the Paris Saint-Germain hierarchy. Did we see a, a relieved German last night, Andy? Well, I think uh, one thing about Tuchel is that, that that side of him that's been coming out is something which he displayed in the past when he was at Borussia Dortmund and was maybe a side that put some people off him. Um, but, you know, he's he's won over a lot of people in France this season. He certainly impressed me with his demeanour, with his... You get the impression that his man management is better, perhaps, than Unai Emery's. Just looking from afar, I know Robbie is, is mm. closer to the dressing room than I am. I've generally been impressed with Thomas Tuchel, but yeah, he will be relieved to have uh, finally got the job done because they've, they have made a real hash of it in the last uh, few weeks, conceding 10 goals in these three games, taking just one point. So he'll be pleased to get over the line. They need to complete the double. I think the pressure is on them to do that because, you know, there's no escaping the fact that this regardless of what happens in that match, will have been a worse season for Paris Saint-Germain than last year under Unai Emery because of the, the, the Champions League exit combined with the early exit from the League Cup, as much as that's yeah, not but especially it's not as bad important. as Unai Emery's first season, no, which, were, which no, also I mean, like, included no league title yeah, and Barcelona. Exactly. I'm not, I'm, I mean, like I said, I, I, I think Thomas Tuchel has done a lot of good things and I think he can be pleased, rightly so, with the way in which they've got the job done this season. But... The manner in which they've crossed the line does leave a bit of a slightly sour taste. And unfortunately, as a Paris Saint-Germain coach coming into the season, you have to win the league title. Mm. That's a, that's not even a minimum requirement. It's just taken as a given. So he still has an awful lot of work to do to be remembered as a great Paris Saint-Germain coach. I spoke to him after the game, obviously, with, for the, the post-match interviews for, in, for, for PSG. Um, he was relieved. He was very happy. He was, he was very happy to have escaped the, the champagne wars that were going on in, inside the changing room as well. He said at one point that he's must he have been very cold dry. champagne. It had been on ice for quite a while. It was, it was very chilly, but it, 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 it uh, exploded spectacularly in the changing room. No, no need to uh, tell you that Danny Alves was, of course, the, uh, the star of the show as well, uh, carrying on. It was a uh, little bit dangerous at times. Antero Enrique got caught with a, with a, a, a shower. and um, No, it was, it was very funny, but the coach... He has, as Andy said, he has a great relationship with the players. There's hardly any problems. He's always defended them. I asked him about the last three weeks, and then was he relieved or happy? He said, look, as you, as you said, Dave, that it's his first league title. That is really something special for him. He talked about match after match. He said Strasbourg failing to get that win there. Then Lille, such a strange match, the sending off the injuries, difficult to, to, to really try and get that victory. And then Nantes how disappointed he was. And he said in the changing room after the Nantes match, there were plenty of words exchanged between the coaching staff, between the players. They got it all out in the open. He said, when you have to say something, everyone understands that that was a subpar performance. And we saw the reaction tonight. And he said again, look, they have so many injured players at the moment. He's never varied his argument, which is, look, it's not easy at the moment. We have no players. The same players are playing week in, week out. 
they're, they're, they're getting down. And last night they responded. He was a very happy man. And yeah, great relationship with the players. I don't think there's any doubt that he'll be there next season. No doubt whatsoever. Congratulations then to Thomas Tuchel, Kylian Mbappe and the rest of the Paris Saint-Germain squad. We'll talk a bit more about PSG towards the end of the show when we look ahead to the Coupe de France final against Rennes and a meeting with their former player Hatim Ben Arfa. Now we move on to look at the race for Europe. Lille are still handily placed, looking for the second direct qualifying spot for the Champions League. That despite their nil-nil at Toulouse, a game that Andy Scott commentated. Would you like to just give us a a quick run through the the controversial incident that sealed Paris Saint-Germain's title? Uh, yeah, it was just after the hour mark. It was still nil-nil when um, Jonathan Ikone in the box uh, got the ball to Nicola Pepe, who then laid it off for Thiago Mendes to fire into the corner. Uh, the Lille players started to celebrate, and then the referee uh, reviewed uh, the images of a possible handball because Ikone, in uh, sort of grappling with the defender, was on the ground. The defender played it off his arm, and then he got the break of the ball and gave it to Pepe and the referee decided that that, uh, that was a good enough reason to disallow it. Uh, Robbie suggested that it was controversial. I agreed with him because I'm not sure what Ikone could have done to get his arm out of the way. Um, but the Lille players didn't seem to be too bothered at the time, to be honest. And, and after that happened, you suspected that they weren't going to find a way through because they didn't really look like scoring otherwise. And Toulouse hit the post twice. So really for Lille, at the end of the day, it was not a bad point for them in the circumstances. So Lille second on 65 points. Let's see how Olympique Lyonnais got on on the Friday evening. They were playing Angers and Robbie Thompson commentated that game. For Depay, third time lucky. And the Dutchman scores and answers the critics as well. Moulin screaming at uh, his players to keep the pressure on, to try and take the game a little bit to Olympic Lyonnais, but they can't afford to leave themselves open at the other end! Which is what they've done, and they have been punished by Martin Terrier. Olympic Lyonnais get back to winning ways with a 2-1 victory. It could have been more in the end. A nervy finish, but a deserved win nonetheless. So Lyon with a vital 2-1 win against Angers, Memphis Depay and Martin Terrier on the score sheet, that off the back of three straight defeats in all competitions and Bruno Genesio announcing that he is going to be stepping down as coach at the end of the season. They played very well in the first half, especially, didn't they, Robbie? They did. And I was, I was curious to see how the reaction would be because I, I, I never like it, and we said it in last week's pod, when a coach announces that he's going to be leaving at the end of the season because I think it has a negative effect on the players. I, I don't, I'm not convinced of this idea that you can, you can all band together and say, look, we're all leaving at the end of the season, but let's give this one last shot for, for six weeks and show what we're, what we're worth. I, don't, I really don't think it works that way. Having, having seen the, the inner workings of a, a professional football club over the last few years, the, finding that balance and getting everything to, to work is such a difficult thing. And, and to just announce, look, we're all leaving, I think it, it's, too, it's too much for, for a squad to handle. But having said that, I think... Last night was the Friday night's performance from Leon. It, look, Memphis Depay overcoming Dave, as you said, the, the Drake curse. Yeah, let's just say that, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot on social media about this recently. Drake is a Canadian rapper, for those of you who aren't familiar with his work. He's got no uh, descendancy from Sir Francis Drake, who uh, beat the Spanish Armada in Elizabethan times, <laughs> for you British history fans. But... Uh, 
Unlike the others who have posed with Drake, including Levin Kozava before the mm. Lille, Lille 5-1 yeah. defeat, um, Depay went to Amsterdam, the Dutch capital, 72 hours before the game, came back, it seemed to inspire him, and he got on the score sheet. Well, he flew, he flew there on Tuesday night, didn't he? He went to the concert, flew back, private jet. Uh, everyone going, this is crazy. He's, he's had such a disastrous season, just six goals in Ligue 1 compared to 19 last season. He hasn't, he hasn't performed this year. There's so many problems. Is he one of the problems in the dressing room for Olympic Lyonnais? We know he has a big ego. Uh, and, and I think big as much as anything, as well. well, he had three great, great chances. Big calves. <laughs> he, and, and incredible tattoos as well. But uh, it was the goal was for me as much as anything. His start, his first 15, 20 minutes of the match were saying, look, this is for all you people that thought that what I do outside of training and outside of matches has any bearing on what I do on the football pitch. I felt it was really a personal crusade to just close a few mouths and say, look, I can, I can go to Amsterdam and see a concert and fly back and be at training the next day and score on the weekend and win matches for my football team. And he did. Martin Terrier also with a, a great goal and he showed some fantastic pace to make it 2-0. But there were a nervy few minutes mm. at the end when, uh, when they had to hang on and Angers pulled that goal back through an own goal. But then, you know, they were, were not far. Terrier's an interesting one, Andy, that uh, uh, it's been revealed that some on the Lyon coaching staff liken his style to Robert Perez in Perez's early days in Mets and he's scoring every game at the moment, cutting in from the left-hand side. Accurate, powerful five shots. in five games. Mm. Looks like a, a low-maintenance player compared to, let's yeah. say, a high-maintenance player like Memphis Depay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I watched this game as well. I know some of us were uh, enjoying the sunshine on Friday evening, uh, but uh, I was uh, watching the Lyon game and... Um, yeah, I thought that they, they did play well for, for the first sort of hour or so. Mm. Uh, I was very impressed, obviously, with Hussam Awar for the way he set up the, the two goals with uh, passes from deep. Depay took his goal very well. Martin Terrier is a very interesting player because um, Lyon invested a lot of money in him uh, midway through last season mm. to sign him when he hadn't actually broken through at Lille and they were desperate to raise funds because of their financial problems. You think of what Lille could have been uh, at the moment if they still had Martin Terrier on board. And he didn't actually want to leave. I think he was quite keen to, to break through because he'd been on loan at Strasbourg and done well there. He's taken his time at Lyon this season, but uh, in the last couple of months, he started to play more of a role. You mentioned Robbie five goals in his last five games. He nearly scored against Barcelona at the, the Groupama Stadium in that Champions League tie with a terrific shot off the woodwork in the early stages. What I like about Martin Terrier is that he shoots very early. You know, he got that mm -hmm. ball from Hussein Mawar the other night. And before he, you know, before he'd thought about it a split second, he'd hit that ball early before the goalkeeper could react. He's done that a few times. I commentated the game against Nantes uh, the previous weekend when he took his goal fantastically well, very early, curled it into the far corner. Um, he's not quite got these statistics yet, but he's building them up with this run of form now. And it does augur well for the future because obviously the expectation is that Lyon will lose uh, players this summer. But when they have somebody like Terrier coming through, it is a very good sign. And they need Terrier and Depay on form because they still have to play Lille and Marseille this season. Lyon third on 59 points and bidding to get into the Champions League again, having reached the last 16 of the competition this season. They really needed that win. They put the pressure on their rivals for European qualification by playing on the Friday night. But five of the top six won this week. Uh, Lille the with the exceptions before, to None that. of the top six won, I think, wasn't it? Mm, the, exactly. Paris lost to, well, Lille. My memory yeah. doesn't go back that far. But you're, but you're right. The, match, take each game as it comes. Yeah. No, I think, I think The three points Lille, are the most important thing, I think, Andy. I think for Lille, I mean, I had a suspicion that Lille were going to drop points this weekend. 
and and that's how it transpired. I mean, ultimately, they've actually come out of the last few weeks in a much stronger position than they probably thought they would have done because they mm. couldn't have expected to beat Paris Saint-Germain, certainly not the way they did. They would not have expected Lyon to lose the two games that they did against Dijon and Nantes. So they are still in a very strong position, but that has given Lyon a glimmer of hope with this uh, the, the results this weekend, bearing in mind they still have to play them if they can chisel away a few points somewhere else, and there is still a chance they'll get second, but Lille will finish in the top three. I think so, the, be- the biggest benefit for Lille at the moment is just looking at the league table, six points ahead of Lyon, but Lyon are not only chasing them, they're also looking over their shoulder. Yeah. Three yeah. points Let's back to saint run through the table that. now. Saint-Étienne, mm. Lyon's local rivals, are fourth. They've won four in five. Their latest victory, a comprehensive 2-0 win at Reims, who were going really well, mm. only one defeat in 16 rounds before that game uh, I feel like Rance and Nice have dropped out of the European qualification picture now Nice yeah, lost at home to Comp 1-0 so mm. um, Rance 7th Nice 8th so Saint-Étienne 4th 56 points Marseille 3-1 winners at Gangon on the Saturday they're on 54 but we're going to talk more about Montpellier who are 6th on 51 points and Saturday was a special day for their Brazilian captain Vitorino Hilton a Ligue 1 champion with Marseille in 2010 and Montpellier in 2012. He's 41 years old. A little known fact, he actually shares my birthday, September the 13th. So I expect lots of goodwill messages, goodwill messages on the Ligue 1 podcast at gmail.com website. Can I just say, Dave, that, uh, do you know who I share a birthday with? Tell me. Sheikh Diabate. Fantastic. The giant Malian striker. Uh, maybe we'll fit in. Talk about another giant Malian striker later I, I in the show. I don't know whose birthday I show. I know I'm born one day before Christian Vieri, but uh, apart from that... I anyway, that's a roundabout way. <laughs> it's a roundabout way of saying that Hilton, at 41, on Saturday made his 450th Ligue 1 appearance, and he's now the record holder in terms of appearances for a non-French player, moving one clear of Delio Onis, and I actually commentated that game, so let's see how the match went. Molle now with a chance to hit one, Cell saves Delors, follows up to score and the team coached by Michel Desacarion have taken the lead. Chance for Molle, too much space again and 2-0 to Montpellier. Chance, oh, and it's gone through the goalkeeper Leconte and it's Pablo Martinez with a goal back for Strasbourg. Tapped out to Delors who tucked it away for 3-1 and Montpellier deserved the two-goal margin. Strasbourg won. Montpellier 3. Hilton playing centre-half at the age of 41 and another inspirational performance from the skipper as Montpellier won at Strasbourg, which is never an easy place to go, Stade de la Meno. And uh, Hilton, it looks like he's going to get another year another year extension. He just goes on and on. It's incredible. He, he, he said, I think at the start of this season, that you know he was still enjoying his football. Perhaps if the legs kept going, he, he'd be there for another year. We see... Every now and again, a, a side that rely on a central defender who's getting older and slower, and, and you know he's just that calming influence, and perhaps he costs you a few matches every now and again. It's not the case with Vitorino Hilton. He's incredible. He's, he's the one making the blocks. He's the one making interceptions. He's great in the air still. He has a great leap on him. He, he, he's playing like a player not 10 years younger, 20 years younger. is really very impressive. He's still, at 41, a match winner. Yeah. For Montpellier, and that's what's most impressive. They're not carrying him at all, or not saying he's he's great in the dressing room. He's he's like Suleiman Camera, perhaps. Is Montpellier have a few of them, mm. but uh, but Hilton, he deserves his place in this side. He's incredibly impressive. 
Yeah, and as you say, there's no no suggestion of him stopping anytime soon. He's going to be like Stanley Matthews, carrying on until he's, uh, you know, who knows what age. But the the thing about Hilton is that, as you mentioned, he was in the Montpellier team that won the league in 2012, like Suleiman Camara. He mm. was in footballing terms. He was an old man then as well. You know, he was, yeah. what, 34 at the time? And he's still going at 41. It's just it's just incredible. I mean, he plays he plays alongside um, Pedro Mendes and uh, Daniel Congre. That, that means defensive. we can't label Daniel Congre as a veteran defender. Well, Congre is 34 himself. Congre is, is a relatively old man as well in footballing yeah. terms. And and yeah, it is. But just he makes them look good as well. Yeah. Like there's a lot of talk about how fantastic this back back three are playing for Montpellier, and they have a defensive tradition going back years and years. But but he's making everyone look good in that mm. side. But when when he was when he was a Marseille player. Uh, which is, you know, we're talking a decade ago now. He didn't play a lot in that team, did he? You mentioned that he was there when they won the league in 2010. If I recall correctly, he was he was very much a bit part player in that team, and they let they let he him had go to playing central defence, didn't you? I in, think so. Yeah, side. and they let they let him go to Montpellier, who at the time had just come up, of course, and nobody saw them going on to win Suleiman the league. Diawara, Suleiman Diawara, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it, what he's gone on to do is amazing because now he hardly misses a game. And uh, as I said, there's no suggestion of him stopping anytime soon. And Montpellier still have a chance of making it into Europe, which would be, uh, for them, you know, an incredible achievement. Their last European campaign was a bit of a disaster, though, wasn't it, for Montpellier after they won the league? In yeah, the, in the in Champions, Champions League. league. They, were, they were woeful in 2012, mm. having sold their best players. Mm. Um, other players who, were, who caught my eye on Saturday, the front three must be the hardest working front three in the league. Gaetan Laborde, Andy Delors and Florent Mollet. Florent Mollet, the poor man's Kevin De Bruyne. I really well, I, just, I, think, he, I think he's a, a, a very, very good player he's and one of the player. most underrated players probably in Ligue 1, having come from Metz and, and you know, hard, leagues, yeah. really mm. almost never caught the eye. He's not a young player now, is he? Yeah, he's 27 Mollet. now, Florent Mollet. Uh, Montpellier now have three wins in their last four games. Uh, Laborde and Delors never stop running. They don't give you a mm. moment's respite. And they run all over the field as well. They particularly enjoy breaking down the right-hand side. They work for each other. You can tell that they get on, on the pitch, exactly. that trio, that's, and off the pitch. That's the thing. You see a real camaraderie between those two. And so complimentary. For two players who you think, well, look, you could have one of them in your side, hard worker, but the two of them together, it just works. Yeah. And both brought in for this mm. season. Uh, Laborde's got 10 goals. Delors got two on Saturday. He's now up to 13. That's a, a PB haul for him, beating uh, what he managed with Caen several seasons ago. Um, I'd personally still be surprised if they managed to get a European spot. We should yeah, remind our listeners that fifth will become a European finish if Paris Saint-Germain beat Rennes in the Coupe de France final on Saturday. Yeah, I think like in previous years when PSG had won all the trophies, uh, fifth and sixth were enough to get into the Europa League uh, but because that's not going to be the case this year it does make things a lot harder for Montpellier doesn't it and just just a, a word about uh, Laborde and Delors as well because I think it's important what you say that they work so well together Laborde of course at Bordeaux you look at Bordeaux's problems this season you think well they could have done with keeping a player mm-hmm. like him but I think on his own it wouldn't have been anything like as effective so yeah together they're, they're great to watch Thanks for teeing that up uh, Andy because we're going to move on to talk about Bordeaux and Gaetan Laborde leaving Bordeaux from Montpellier was behind Gustavo Poyet leaving. Exactly. Co- already cost one man his job. Well, not really. Provoked the, the loss of his job, didn't he? Poyet was furious about that sale. I, uh, I think he provoked it himself, yeah. the loss of his job. <laughs> well, but he, he, I mean, the story behind that, he, he arrived at the team hotel and was waiting to, to fly out for a match and uh, Gaetan Laborde never showed up. 
and uh, that's what at least what Poyet was saying. He found out finding where where is Laborde. We have to leave. We're holding up the the yeah, plane. Yeah, Poyet was unhappy because he felt that the squad wasn't big enough. They had to come mm. through all the qualification rounds in order to qualify for the Europa League. So the Uruguayan left. They brought back Ricardo, but uh, much like Robbie Thompson, he didn't have the right badges. So Eric Bedway, Mr. Bordeaux, had to do all of the media duties. Ricardo sat behind him. Bedway was the man to the fore by the touchline. Didn't really work. And the new American owners decided to end that and uh, bring in the peripatetic, Paolo Souza, peripatetic, one of my favourite words, meaning much travelled. And the Portuguese was brought in last month. And uh, the Ligan show, which is an excellent show to watch on your television sets or online, probably. Um, Caught up with Paolo Souza last week for an in-depth interview. Is he the man to take Bordeaux forward? Let's hear from him. They show me uh, how it's important to them uh, to um, have me. Um, they show me from the first day, from the first words, uh, I'm the right person. They want to follow me. They understand what type of coach I am. Uh, they know my profile of person, uh, my my uh, human values are always important around the football and they want to follow me. They, they, they show me I'm the right person to uh, help them, you know, to build it up something um, special uh, because to build it up or probably to rebuild something re uh, really special because this club, you have important history and something we want to, uh, I want to keep working to um, to rebuild, you know, uh, and uh, um, uh, once more um, the important result, uh, results this club uh, have it already, where uh, our uh, fans, uh, our city, and also the French football, they can feel um, honor uh, to have a club uh, in in that in that direction. We want to uh, we want to see uh, yeah, and we want to build. Well, Bordeaux under Paulo Sousa fell two one at Nîmes at the weekend. That, despite Josh Madger, the young Englishman scoring his first league and goal, he's got a lot of work to do there. Only five wins in the last twenty four for Le Girondin. But Bordeaux are a big team and uh, last won the title in two thousand and nine under Laurent Blanc. What's gone wrong since, lads? Um, where do we start? I think with I think, Laurent Blanc going is where yeah. I'd start. They were <laughs> well, they were they were well, top of the was, table yeah. at Christmas the following season, yeah. and going brilliantly in the Champions League. Mm. Inspired by Johan Gorku for Marouane Shamak, they ended up going out of the Champions League to Lyon in the quarterfinals, Did and their league and totally fell away. That side at that at that time, he was he was a very yeah, good the strong Brazilian on. tradition that they mm. had with Jussier and Jussier, Wendell. Yeah, I think it's obviously quite hard for a club like Bordeaux to when they win the league and win trophies and go far in the Champions League, they went relatively far uh, to keep their best players. Obviously, they lost uh, Marwan Shamak and Johan Gourcuff, as well as Laurent Blanc. And maybe their decisions since then in terms of who they appointed as, as their coach uh, to replace Blanc, they've not really had a, a, a particularly great manager as far as I can recall in that time. Francis Gillot was there when they won the cup, but he wasn't mm -hmm. particularly popular. Sheikh Diabate, of course, one of the heroes of that cup final win against Evian. That's back in 2013 now. And yeah, they've, they've never really had the continuity. Even when Jocelyn Gourvenek was there, he had one good season and then things fell apart last year. But they've, and all, they've just never been able to keep it going. They, it's, a, it's a perfect example of where 
a club needs to have some sort of stability and strong foundations and put things in place. We know that the, the owners of Bordeaux have also been trying to sell the club for, for, for years and years. The, the television station we had, the, the president was, um, what was his name? Jean-Louis, well, Jean-Louis Trio was Jean-Louis there for a long Trio. time. And yeah. then there were changes at the top. Stéphane Martin became the new president. Exactly. M6, the private TV channel, sold up to GACP. Uh, headed up that by Joe De Grosso. Year, but that, that was during it, it was the such a process that took so long, and there were false starts, and and there were other people coming in and trying to to put together projects. And and when you have a coach like Laurent Blanc, who and that's a perfect example of the Bruno Genesio. Look, I'm leaving at the end of the season. I've taken the France job, and things just fell in a heap that season. It was incredible. But a coach like Laurent Blanc, you have a foundation there, and Bordeaux never never went on with that. He, he is, Laurent Blanc sets you up to play a certain way. You can build on that. You can, you can continue making small adjustments, but they didn't do that. They completely broke with that. They, they lost their, their, their important players. And, and look, that's what happens when you don't have that stability. Well, Bordeaux only 14th in the table, in lower mid table on 38 points. They're safe from relegation. And uh, the policy under the new owners is to try and get in good young players. They're, of course, not the only club trying to apply this model and eventually sell them on for a big profit. And uh, Yassine Adli came in from Paris Saint-Germain in January. Josh Madger from the English third division club, Sunderland. And they've also got some promising homegrown talent as well, probably none more so than Jules Koundé, the defender. Let's hear from Paolo Sousa on Bordeaux's young players. We are happy with these players. Um, uh, Jules, it's a, it's, it's, it's a boy we can understand from the first second that desire, that hunger to achieve, it's there in the daily basis. It's, 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 you can see his face, give me things I want to learn, I want to play, I want to perform, I want to keep growing, you understand? And this is, for a, for a, for a coach, uh, for my staff, is something, oh, this is fantastic to, to see these kind of things. Uh, the same than the other ones, Bazic, for example, it's a player, um, we started to ask him also different things, where he can recognize other things in the in, in his game. Who in the moment of the team when I arrive, the team needs. For that, it's 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 also uh, a extra uh, difficult for him. But we need to keep uh, you know the right direction, the right motivation to to keep growing like like the other ones. Uh, I think it's a question of timing. You know, to this this process because the talent they have it, and they have the right attitude. So Josh Madger, who made the step up from the English third tier to Ligue 1 by leaving Sunderland to come to Bordeaux, became the first Englishman to score in Ligue 1 since Joe Cole in 2012. Now, a quick fire topic for us here now to talk about our favourite anglophone players in France. There have been some excellent ones down the years. Uh, for me. It will be a battle between Chris Waddle, who was sensational at Olympique de Marseille, and Glenn Hoddle, who was equally terrific with Monaco in the late 1980s. Um, I chatted in the past to Luc Sonor, with whom we've worked, a former France international, and he always asks me about Glenn Hoddle and how Hoddle's getting on. Um, Hoddle, he says, by far the best player he ever played with, but I'm still going to go for Chris Waddle because... Magic Chris lit up the velodrome and inspired them to a European Cup final. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of um, my own recollections, obviously Joe Cole was uh, such a nice chap when he was at Lille, didn't have particularly great success. He scored a couple success. of fantastic goals and set up a couple of yeah. fantastic goals as well. Yeah, but he came there at a time when they were just slightly on the decline after mm. winning the league. And he was on the decline too. He, he was on the decline as well. as he used yeah, to be. which is true. But um, I think uh, personally, obviously, I have to pick a Scotsman. John Collins, who I know Matt's, uh, Matt Spiro is obviously you know, uh, very fond of as well. Um, he was a great player for Monaco when they had a great team in the, 19, in the late 1990s. And I have to pick out Morris Johnston as well, who, of course, had that, that spell at Nantes. Well, I can't go, obviously, with uh, Waddle um, because he played for Marseille and I, my colours are red and blue. Um, from an Australian perspective, the most recent one, we had a, a young player called Nicky Carl who was at Troyes, but he never managed to uh, play a match. That was in the, the mid-noughties. Mile Sturzhovski before him at Lille, who was a penalty taker for Lille under Claude Puel. And uh, played a lot of matches and, and played very well. Excellent player, Australian international. Before that, you have to go back to Frank Farina, the striker at Strasbourg, who scored a lot of goals uh, for Strasbourg. Played with Frank Leboeuf there. And probably the best-known Australian in France would have to be Robbie Slater, who played for Lens. You're going to see Robbie Thompson. <laughs> in certain circles. But uh, Robbie Slater, probably on a, on a better level, won the, the second division title with Lens and then came up uh, first division and uh, still considered in uh, glowing terms up in the north of France. Well, we wish uh, Josh Madger all the best in the southwest of France and potentially would like to see Ligue 1 become a place where these young Englishmen could come and shine a bit like the way Jaden Sancho and Reese Nelson have done in the Bundesliga this season. Shea Ojo on loan from Liverpool in England under-21s international wasn't even in the round squad at the weekend. Jonathan Panzo and Rio Griffiths, two other youngsters at French club. Panzo at uh, Monaco and Griffiths at Lyon. They've not got a first team chance yet. So that's one to follow. But uh, we're going to talk about another Anglophone player who will be fondly remembered by Ligue 1 followers, especially those of Rennes and Saint-Étienne. And it's someone that Robbie Thompson knows very well. It's Carlos Bocanegra, the former USA captain. Robbie, would you like to introduce a clip from the interview that you did with him? Absolutely. Well, Carlos, um, I'll say first of all how I met him. He w- Charlie Davies was also playing at Sosho at the time, and I was working for the LFP. And we had a, a Davies cup had match. a horrendous car accident. Exactly. We didn't while see he was the best playing of at Charlie Sochaux. Davies, unfortunately. Exactly. While on national team duty in the in the US, he had a terrible car accident, and um, it cost him. Basically, he came back. He played professional football after that, Charlie Davies, but uh, struggled really under. And it was Francis Gillot there at Sosho at the at the time. Struggled to get back in that side. Went back and played in North America again, but he was playing a cup match against uh, Wren, and I was sent by the LFP to interview both players. And in the end, Carlos Bocanegra was rested, and Charlie Davies was injured at the time. So I went there to interview both players ahead of this cup match, which uh, never happened, un- unfortunately. But I did meet Carlos, and we ended up commentating matches together because he was a he was a, an interesting chap, Carlos Bocanegra, very open to to new ideas, already already had an idea of, you know, things that could happen after his career. And, uh, and so he'd, he'd come to Paris on the train. I'd go and pick him up and we'd go and commentate matches, Champions League matches for Africa um, here in Paris. And then uh, he'd stay in the hotel, head back to training the next morning in Rennes. I used to commentate those games as well, but more often than not with Andy Scott. So you, you were outdoing <laughs> us. And uh, just a really good guy. And we've stayed in contact ever since. Now he's uh, vice president and technical director of uh, MLS side that won the championship last year, Atlanta, in just their second year. And I called him this week and we had a, a very interesting chat. But as you say, Dave, he scored in a Coupe de France final. Unfortunately, it's, not, it's a bittersweet memory because he scored 
uh, from a Bruno Sheru free kick to this give Rennes a 1-0 lead. 2009, exactly his first season in France with Rennes. And unfortunately, against second division Gangon, uh, a young Brazilian by the name of Eduardo scored uh, twice for Gangon and Rennes lost the, the title, but it remains a fantastic memory for Carlos. And let's hear... Uh, Carlos Bocanegra talking about how the city of Rennes was electric in the lead up to the game against Gangon, and it will be the same story this time round ahead of PSG on Saturday. Oh, it was fantastic, you know, um, playing at Stade de France, uh, kind of the build up to, to being in the cup final. You know, you you dream about playing in the cup final and, and you know, playing at the national stadiums, whether it's Wembley or, you know, uh, Stade de France or, or wherever it is in, in, in the country. And so, the build-up was just so much fun, and the city was, you know, buzzing, and you know, all the fans, and it was just kind of an electric atmosphere in in the city of Rennes, uh, leading up to that game. And when you go on a cup run, it's fun for for the group, right? You know, it's something everybody rallies behind, the club rallies behind. So uh, it was really just a fantastic time around the club for us. Thanks to Carlos Bocanegra for talking to Robbie, and you can. Get an extended version of that interview by going to the Le Bourgeois Ligue 1 podcast page and also hear more from Paolo Sousa. Now, this is an interactive podcast and we do want you to get in touch with us. And in future, I'd like you to send in your questions in an MP3 file so that you can hear your own voices on the Ligue 1 podcast. The email address, ligampodcast at gmail.com. That's L-I-G-U-E, the number one, podcast at gmail.com and we have a question gentlemen from Vlad Angelkovsky and I hope I pronounced your name correctly Vlad he says guys great to listen to your podcast you're doing a great job this is proof that flattery gets you everywhere you're getting your question read out <laughs> uh, his question after hearing you guys talk about Ben Arthur's great form will he stay at Rennes or are there any suitors for him in France or elsewhere could say Lille be a fit for him if they make the Champions League Ben Arthur of course about to take on his former club Paris Saint-Germain in the Coupe de France final. Andy? Uh, we, we talked about this recently, about uh, the possibility of um, Ben Arthur's future being up in the air beyond this season. Uh, and he was quite sort of unclear about what he might choose to do. I mean, it looks like Rennes will end up finishing in mid-table and they'll have to win the Cup to be in Europe next season. I'd be surprised if he ended up at a place like Lille. Um, my concern, obviously, for Lille would be what happens next to their project going forward, given that they'll be selling a number of key players in the summer. Hopefully they'll be in the Champions League and they'll be able to attract uh, a certain type of player to help them uh, remain competitive. But I'd be surprised if they went for Ben Arfa. I think with Luis Campos, the, the Portuguese uh, in charge of recruitment there, I think they're more likely to look around Europe for uh, slightly unusual younger signings that can, that can give them that surprise element again next season, like we saw him do at Monaco previously and like he's done successfully already with Lille. I, I think Hattam has had a fantastic season in... Fits and spurts, we've seen him again. I mean, he fantastic season. It hasn't been an entire season because, of course, he started the, the season without a club. Signed for rent, had to get back up to speed, but has had some, some brilliant matches. He, he's never had, really, that consistency that clubs will, will really bank on. I think he's, he's always considered a bit of a risk. And I have heard uh, uh, a little bird has told me that uh, his future could lie in a perhaps a... Non-European league, shall we say. I hear that uh, his name is being bandied about. Uh, just to clear up anything, it's not with Carlos Bocanegra at, at the MLS side, Atlanta United either, but heard from, from elsewhere that, that people are interested in Hattam and it's not in Europe. It's a matter now of... And perhaps that would be good for Hattam to have a complete change of scene. 
I think, because he, he's, a, he's an excellent guy to get along with in the changing room. Everyone always says that. I spoke to people in the Newcastle changing rooms when he was there. Hatem is a fantastic guy to have in your team. The, the question is, is his work rate enough for a big professional club these days in Europe? I'm not convinced, and I think maybe, that he would benefit from going somewhere, not in pre-retirement, but to really be an important figure in a team where he can, can run the show and be the star of perhaps an entire league. I love watching him, uh, but his wages are massive. He's the wrong side of 30. Mm. and He's been unable to lift Wren uh, since they went out of the Europa League. There's, they've gone six without a win in the league. Under Julian Stefan, their form is awful at the moment going into the but Coupe de France final. Same as Strasbourg before the Coupe de la and Ligue final. When you have a final coming up... That... Exactly. Uh, but speaking of the money and Ben Arthur in relation to other players on the league and scene. They had Wabi Kazri last year. I think Ren would have been better managing to convince Kazri to stay rather than signing Ben Arthur for all the good that Ben Arthur has done to the team. Do send in more questions to us, leagueandpodcast at gmail.com. Well, that familiar music means it is time for an ever-popular segment of our show. It is Bon Voyage when we look ahead to the Week 34 games. With the Coupe de France final taking place on Saturday, there's only one game on the Friday night. That is Bordeaux against Olympique Lyonnais. And there are seven games on the Sunday. And the teams involved in the Coupe de France final will play the following midweek. So... Robbie, where are you going to head this weekend? Well, I will be, as you can all imagine, at the Stade de France. My real dilemma is just how to get there and how to get back because it's not an easy one when you're when you're at two o'clock in the Swim morning there with coming Danny out of the Stade de France. Sorry? Swim there with Danny Alves. That's right. Well, it depends if we win. We might be able to swim back in the rivers of Champagne leading down the A eighty six or the A one back to back to Paris. The RER is always a nice way. That's the the extended suburban train system if you like. Making it sound very glamorous here, Rob. No, it, it's not. But it, when, oh, it's, yeah, be. when it's full of when it's full of travelling fans, and there will be thousands of of fans from Brittany as well as the the Paris Saint Germain fans, there will be a great atmosphere. And that's all about cup final, isn't it? The the train trips out to the stadium. It's more at, at two o'clock in the morning trying to get back, which uh, scares me a little bit. So I'm trying to wrangle a parking uh, pass for the match, but it hasn't come through just yet. Fascinating stuff. I th- Andy. I, th- I think um, given, and I've said this before, given this is a travel section, uh, one thing that we should always emphasize here is that Stade de France, of course, is in Saint-Denis. What you could do is you could book yourself a hotel for the weekend. You could stay in Saint-Denis. You could visit the Basilica in Saint-Denis, mm-hmm. which is one of the most famous in France. You could take a look at the way that the city itself Gothic. is regenerating itself because it's going to be very important when the Olympics come around in 2024. Um, that that's going to be the one of the real hubs of the games rather than just Paris itself. So you could make a whole weekend of it, but of course, and take in the cup final. And by the way, on Sunday, I'll be mixing that up with a trip for uh, Marseille-Nantes, uh, a meeting of two of the great French teams. Always nice to head down to the Mediterranean coast and take in the sights and sounds of Marseille as well while I'm at it. I find well, Saint-Denis very confusing. Let's face it, it's still Paris. It's about three kilometres the other side of the ring road. It's Paris. There's a very right. strict it's definition Paris. of Paris, which are the, the 20 arrondissements, the districts of Paris, and Saint-Denis lies just outside that. I, I am going to leave Paris on Sunday. Good. And <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> uh, Ciao, Dave. And now that it's late April and the sun is out, I think I can brave going to Normandy. It's something I try to avoid during the long winter months. Mm. But uh, I'm going to go to Caen for Caen against Dijon. Uh, I like Caen as a place. 
It's got some attractive historic streets, but most importantly, that game is massive as it's 19th against 18th and caught under this new coaching duo of Roland Corbis and Fabian Mercadal. Uh, could leapfrog Dijon in the table to do that? They have to beat them. But Dijon found a bit of form as well, haven't they? Pressure on Monaco, if you ask me. And, uh, who and Amiens as Amiens. well. Yeah, yeah, Amiens and Monaco, 32 points. Dijon, 28. Con 26. Gangon now bottom of the table again on 24. And they looked like they were almost turned the corner a few weeks ago under, under Gorvenek. Now, because Matt's not here, we're going to abolish the coup de girl segment that he introduced last week. He can bring it back when he stops being lazy on a beach somewhere. Um, because we're all Cotswolds. too happy because it's 25 degrees, it's sunny, and we're, let's face it, just about ready for lunch, I'd say. Um, so many thanks to Robbie Thompson, Andy Scott for being on the podcast, and to you for listening. I'm David Crossan, and we'll see you again next week for another episode of Le Bouger, the official League and podcast. Bye for now, and au revoir. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. Oh, what a goal! Kylian Mbappe wraps it up.